Fiddler on the Roof. Sounds crazy, no? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Next Best Theater. I'm your host, Michael Schwartz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Dan Bayer. Shalom. (laughs) And Cody Derricks. Hello. Unfortunately, Casey Lee Clark cannot join us for this episode, but we look forward to having her back very shortly. I am both excited and honored to be hosting this very special episode of Next Best Theater. Since we first started Next Best Theater in 2017, we have enjoyed talking about theater that we love both in the moment and also shows that shape who we are. As we spent many episodes going back to review favorite shows of ours, I've been waiting for the right moment to discuss what I consider to be my all-time favorite musical. This is a show that has not only been a present throughout all of my life, but a show that has been impactful enough to shape key moments in my life. A show that I've seen numerous times in a variety of locations and even languages. This is a show that has not faded over time, but rather become even more relevant than ever before. A show that has crossed boundaries to become one of the most acclaimed and beloved pieces of American musical theater. This is Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Box, Fiddler on the Roof, based on the Tevia short stories by Shalom Alechem. As we record this episode in September 2019, Fiddler is celebrating its 55th anniversary on stage, while still finding new ways to educate and transfix audiences around the globe. Before I go on any more here, I want to open up discussion for the rest of the group to talk about their connection to Fiddler on the Roof. And Nicole Ackman, since I think you have the freshest interpretation of anyone on the panel, let's start off with you. What do you think? What is your connection to Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah, so I'm a Fiddler on the Roof newbie. Um, I'd always been kind of aware of Fiddler on the Roof. Um, Obviously, it's something that gets referenced a lot. Uh, I feel like a lot of my knowledge of Fiddler on the Roof comes straight from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and I had never seen it, had heard bits and pieces here and there. Um, you know, just the way that I feel like songs like Tradition and Lahayam and things like that come up in other pop cultural things. Um, but whenever we, you know, got ready to do this, podcast, I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to actually figure out what Fiddler on the Roof is. So I watched the um, 1971 film, which is on Amazon, if anyone, you know, is is looking to watch it. And I watched that and I also uh, listened to almost all of the 2016 Broadway revival album, um, because I wanted to try and get like a a both sides of the spectrum, kind of a, a newer interpretation of it and, you know, something closer to when it was first made. And I, whenever I started the film, I got about 15 minutes in and I was like, oh no, this podcast is going to be terrible. Um, it's going to be me being like, I don't get why people like this. <laughs> My opinion did change, I promise. Um, the film, I will say, is very much a product of the 1970s. It feels like a 1970s movie, uh, but how good its source material is does shine through. And this story has beautiful music. It's got beautiful themes. The pacing of the film is so freaking slow, but I did look it up and the film is actually longer than the runtime of the musical whenever it's on stage. So that explains a lot, I think. Um But yeah, I really, I I did enjoy it. I would love, 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 love to actually see this on stage because I think that like that would probably be a very different experience. 
Well, you know, it's a very interesting interpretation to come at this, you know, of course, knowing what it's about and knowing some of those songs, Mm -hmm. but then to really see it for the first time in 2019, because as we're going to talk about later, a lot of the themes of Fiddler on the Roof have really become relevant to the world that we live in now. So you look at it and see that, yes, these are people living in early 20th century Russia, but it could be about any group that you really assign it to. So I want to save that conversation more for a little bit later, but yeah. I'm glad you were able to watch it. Glad that you were able to see it with Topol, who again, we'll talk about more when we break down the movie, but uh, it's always good to have another Fiddler on the Roof fan in the world. So <laughs> thank you for your commitment to watching this in record time, I might say. <laughs> yes, I've had a busy week, but I, uh, I finished it just before recording. So it is yes. very fresh in my mind. <laughs> so very good. Uh, Cody, what do you think of Fiddler on the Roof? All right, so I don't have a very exciting origin story with this musical. It's just, you know, a musical I came across when I was younger, and I was like, oh, this is one of the best musicals ever written, and that's never really changed. <laughs> I've seen it uh, in a couple productions. I've seen you know, regional stuff. I've seen it in a middle school production one time that my brother was in. I saw the 2015 Bartlett Sure revival, and the amazing thing about this show is that no matter where I see it, no matter the level of experience or even talent of the people in it, no matter like the age range of the actors, it always moves me every single time. I think it's kind of a like perfect machine of emotional work. Uh, and uh, yeah, I like the movie. Uh, I think like Nicole said, it's uh, the pace is rough. Uh, I also have thoughts about the leading actor, but we can get to that later. But overall, (laughs) yeah, I don't really have a very unique story with Fiddler. It just is one of those shows that is, I think, indisputably one of the great musicals. Wonderful. And Dan, you know, this is very interesting that we're doing this because I think with four people in the panel, you know, we all come from very different backgrounds. We're lucky that we have two Jews and two non-Jews here to get different (laughs) perspectives about such a specifically (laughs) cultural Jewish musical. So I I don't want to feel like I'm separating us into categories, of course, but I I think, no, no, I I really think it's important to hear, you know, from a Jewish perspective when it comes to this as any musical or product of art that has, you know, specific cultural relevancy. Well, I think it worked so well on the Falsettos podcast to kind of have the Jewish, um, you know, opinion from the two of you and then have kind of the people who, you know, don't maybe know as much of that culture. I feel like I have like a a nice viewpoint in that uh, several of my best friends are Jewish. My college roommate uh, is Jewish. And so I've probably in the past like six years been to more Jewish services than I have anything else. So I feel like that was kind of a nice entry point for me was having some knowledge of the culture, even though I'm not like of it, but I feel like that gives us such a nice set of perspectives on it. Absolutely. And growing, I think for some people growing up in the Jewish faith, especially in I'd say the late 20th century, early 21st century, Something like Fiddler on the Roof is somewhat of a staple. It's <laughs> sort of there as a presence forever. Like, you know, people like the characters in this story, even though you're living 100 years later. You know the music. It's just something you sort of grow up with. Like, you hear these songs that transcend the show and become part of the culture overall. So, I guess what I'm trying to get to with that, Dan, is like, is that something you've experienced growing up within the faith? Yeah, calling it a mainstay doesn't even do it justice. I think it is 
I mean, Fiddler is Jewish culture in every possible way you can define it. Um, it it completely transcends being a musical and is instead like this document of a people almost. Um, and it, it, like Cody said, I think it's pretty indisputably one of the great musicals ever written. It's certainly, I mean, when I think about my favorite musicals are the ones that I would, you know, say are the best, it's absolutely always one of them. Um, I grew up seeing Tear Lord. <laughs> um, too many productions of this. Um, I so there was a production that my synagogue put on. Um, there were, I don't know, countless, really countless um, regional and community productions of the show that I've seen. I think that pretty much, I mean, it's kind of an unwritten law that whenever there is a production of Fiddler with it, playing within 50 miles of you and you're Jewish, you must see it. It, it, it's a thing. They pop up it's, so it's often. A thing. And you say your yeah. synagogue did it. That's a thing. I, uh, mm-hmm. Cody and Nicole, oh, yeah. I don't know if this is the same with, you know, churches, how they do like fundraisers and stuff like that. But synagogue shows, not so much anymore, but they used to be a big staple of the 20th century. And you would really only see the same three shows repeated again and again. It would be <laughs> Sound of Music, Oklahoma, and Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And, just I love that. and sometimes Joseph. Annie. Annie would pop up sometimes. Yeah, Joseph. But uh, they really, got a real good seven-year-old girl singer. You can do either yeah, of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't doing like Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, no. But it's all about, you know, doing something that, you know, you can get as many people involved in as you can. So you can get as many people to come see it and raise money, you know. Uh, of course. And any synagogue that does put there on the roof, it's like they could do it every year and people would show up. Like they don't have to worry about the Yamaka budget for that one. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have seen more productions of Fiddle on the Roof than I have any other musical. I have somehow never been in it, although I have done the puddle dance. Okay, I, I was going to ask if you had ever been in it. So <laughs> I, I, it has, I've just like, it's never, I was never the right age to be in it somehow, like whenever I had the opportunity to be in it. Um, I, I really honestly don't know how that has happened, that I have not been in it, but I haven't. Um, but I know so many, I have so many friends and, you know, people that I just know who have been in it. Um, yeah, it, it's just one of, I think it's like easily one of my top 10 musicals of all time. I, there are very few shows that I can actually recite backwards and forwards. And this is one of them. Um, I it's I don't know I think it's perfect I just do um, and part of that is probably because I have you know grown up with it so much but I, it's one of those things that when you grow up in a traditional Jewish American household it just sort of is there it just sort of like pops up one day and it's like oh Fiddler of course I know Fiddler I know that sounds so bizarre to say but it's mm-hmm. like you know, there's always a presence of it, whether you hear sunrise, sunset at like a 
bar mitzvah candle lighting ceremony or, you know, even the Sabbath prayer done at like Jewish youth groups. There always is a presence of a song from Fiddler or a theme from Fiddler. And that's just an amazing thing to see from a musical that opened 55 years ago. This is not something that's been around for, you know, centuries. This is not Shakespeare where, you know, you see to be or not to be quoted everywhere. This is a show that's only half a century old. It is. I think it's a testament to Bach and Harnick's uh, songwriting that these songs have lasted in the way that they have and become these sort of staples of Jewish life. I mean, they captured the sound of Judaism. The score in particular is really such an achievement, especially because I, I like Bach and Harnick's other work, like, you know, who doesn't like She Loves Me, but they really captured such a humongous, epic, timeless, yet specific sound in this musical in a way that they unfortunately would never be able to recapture. But like, I mean, when you do it this well, one time, you don't need to do it again. Absolutely not. Yeah, they really struck gold with this. And we mentioned, of course, She Loves Me, which is another perfect, perfect musical. I know, Nicole, you are such a fan of She Loves Me. <laughs> yes. But their other work, you know, Fiorello was huge back in the day, but doesn't have the following it does, or it did 60 years ago. I don't think you could do that show as a revival, maybe something at like City Center. <laughs> but they, they are, you know, really talented uh, composer lyricists. But I think this is far and away their masterwork. And it, that there's a reason that it, we're talking about it on this 55th anniversary and that there's still more productions running today in you know, various forms. There, so. is, there is not a single bad song in this score. And a lot of them are like not just good, they're super memorable. This was like the Hamilton of its, of its day. Fiddler at one point was the longest running musical in Broadway history. And you had lines going all the way through Times Square. People like made an effort to go see this. And I think it was a big thing because you're talking not even 30 years after the Holocaust. And it's a time when you look at the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, American Jewish culture, especially in New York and the suburbs, was really something that was thriving. And you've seen that sort of fade away. You don't have these strong communities where it's so tight-knit is more scattered out throughout the country in different suburbs. But back in the 60s when this opened, it was a thing to go to New York and see the musical about your ancestors. And people would keep going back and back and they would go in groups and then their synagogue groups and they would have tours that go around the country. It was really a sensation that you know later was beaten by a chorus line and Phantom of the Opera and you know all these shows that came past. But Fiddler was really the one that kicked off this trend of the big mega musical. And the crazy thing is that for it being such an art form that is helped and supported both behind the scenes and in the audience by a huge portion of, you know, a, a Jewish population, it's one of the first musicals to really put them in the spotlight. Yep. It's, it took this long. I mean, yeah. It's just surprising how few musicals there are about like like specifically about jews i think it's pretty much like this and milk and honey which is terrible right well because um, there was you know yiddish theater was its own thing yeah it was but and it never so they didn't over. want yeah and they didn't want to do that that was a separate thing and it wasn't making money and blah 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 um Although Fiddler does have mainstays of the yiddish theater like zero mustel yes. and the film stars molly pecan 
So there is a bit of a crossover there, but they're not going for the same type of humor and style. No, or like not a at all. To it at times. Yeah. So it's just amazing to see the legacy over half a century and how it lives on in this current, <clears throat> excuse me, in this current off-Broadway production uh, playing at stage 42, which is entirely in Yiddish. So here you have a show. Nothing has changed. Same song, same dialogue, but it's performed in Yiddish, which really gives you a connection to the material because that's most likely what they would be speaking in Anatevka. They wouldn't necessarily be speaking Russian. They'd be speaking Yiddish, which was the language at the time. So you're feeling as if you're watching and you think to yourself, well, this is what my great-grandparents would have spoken back in Anatevka if they had lived there. And it's just or anywhere in Eastern Europe, right, pretty much. Eastern Europe, you know, wherever they decided to draw the lines that day. And I think it's it's you know it's notable that it's being put on by the National Yiddish Theater Folksbean, um, who are part of the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York, because I think like the I think that that really was part of the point of it was to allow people who are you know of Jewish heritage to go and see, you know, even one step closer to what their ancestors may have experienced. Yeah, this was not a revival that was done for, like, to go on Broadway or off-Broadway and make money. It was done for, because it was very close to the mission of Folksbean, and, you know, they wanted to do something in Yiddish, and this, you know, it makes sense to do a production of Fiddler in Yiddish, and I, it's almost... It's very difficult to believe that it hadn't happened before, honestly. They are so proud of it. I um, They used to be a client of mine, and I yeah. spent some time with them. And they're just so thrilled to see it do so well. They had no idea that it would last this long. And they really weren't – it seemed like maybe they weren't sure what kind of audience it was going to get. Um, and they're they're so pleased with the fact that it's, it's you know, it's, it's really taken off and it's going strong. Yeah, I mean, this is the most running through January show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would think you would think on the surface that a show about Jewish peasants at the turn of the 20th century. Well, I think once you put it in Yiddish, it becomes very niche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, in Yiddish, absolutely. But yeah. strangely enough, when I saw this uh, Yiddish production in summer 2019, I was sitting in, the, sitting in the theater. I was talking to my neighbor next to me in the seats. And it turns out they weren't Jewish. They didn't really know anything of Jewish culture. They just heard that this show had won awards and it was acclaimed and they wanted to check it out. And to me, that's totally fascinating. Like, what would possess someone to go see a show? Obviously, they're subtitles, so it's going to see, like, going to see a foreign language film in the theater. But seeing a movie at the local art house theater and then going to Broadway to see a three-hour Yiddish production, that's a commitment. Yeah, and it's even in countries that I don't, at least not to my knowledge, have a don't have a very historically big Jewish population. Like I know it's huge in Japan where they yes. just really latch on to, I would imagine I've heard like specifically the themes of tradition and family values. I mean, it's not just something that you have to have gone to temple growing up to appreciate. Of course that helps, but it really is shockingly universal. Well, and I, I was looking into, you know, the international history of it and it's been done in Europe and South America and Africa and Australia, but supposedly, um, in uh, the first three decades after the musical's premiere, a um, hundred different productions were mounted in former West Germany. Um, so I think it, it definitely feels like perhaps it's even had something of a, a cathartic effect um, for people in this time. 
uh, you know, whenever it came out in the, the 60s. And then going on today, I mean, so many of the themes are obviously so applicable to so many people. Mm-hmm. There yeah. is a documentary um, playing right now in theaters called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles. And it's a Talking Heads documentary about the history of the show and the legacy. But what I really love about it is that it goes and shows you theaters around the world who are putting on productions of the Fiddler. And one of them, just like Cody said, is in Japan, where the show opened, I think, in the 1980s. They had the first production there. And it was huge. But what happened, there was a great uh, story. I think Hal Prince was talking about it. He was in the documentary he recorded before he passed away. And he was saying that at intermission, everyone got up and they were talking to each other and they said, oh, it's wonderful. We love it so much. But how is the rest of the world going to understand that it's so Asian? (laughs) (laughs) I have heard that story before and I love it so much. So they have that story and then they have a theater troupe in Thailand and they're doing Fiddler and just something about it. You know, the family element and the traditions and the customs, they they all feel universal. So it's like when I watched my big fat Greek wedding, I'm not Greek, but I understood that family. I have seen those people before. I've been in that dynamic. You know, people see that or something like crazy rich Asians and the specificity of the story just makes it all the more universal. And I think Fiddler was one of the first pieces of art that really was able to get at that feeling for the world. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full-length review of the 1964 Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon channel, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get this and other exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com. You have been listening to the Next Best Theater podcast under the umbrella of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.